Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to HJ Talks About Abuse. I'm joined by my colleague, Hannah Hodgson, and we're talking today about a recent article on the BBC, which is referencing a case in India and a woman's quest for justice for her young daughter who was raped by her school teacher. As you can tell from the introduction that I've given, um, we are gonna be talking about rape and sexual assault. So just a bit of a trigger warning, if those are things that perhaps are gonna be difficult for you to hear today, then now's the time to turn off and go do something else, maybe make yourself a nice cup of tea. Otherwise, for everyone else who's able to stay with us, thanks for listening. Hannah, really interesting story on the BBC yesterday about um, this case in India. Yeah, really interesting, Kathleen, and also really sad story. Yeah, so just to give a bit of background to everyone, there was a woman in India whose daughter was raped by her school teacher in a sugarcane field and the girl told her mother within, you know, a couple of weeks of it happening and they went to the police and the school teacher essentially to sum it up faked his own death with the help of his father and then went to the authorities to have him declared dead and have a death certificate issued. So they went so far as to take video of him laying down on a kind of funeral pyre and that being said and brought receipts for having bought firewood and things like that, because that's the way that people are buried in in India based on their culture or religion of, of this particular school teacher and his family. And so as far as the case was concerned for the rape, the rapist was deceased. So there was nothing that could be done. But the mother realized that something was not quite right, that the kind of normal kind of mourning period that would take place and the things that would be the normal customs of the area in relation to someone dying hadn't happened. And so she suspected that, in fact, he wasn't dead. And I think just to put it in context, she's a very poor woman. They live in a, a shack. It's no running water. Her husband lives in another part of the country to, you know, make money to send back to support the family, very poor people. And despite those circumstances, she was determined to get justice for her daughter who had been raped by the school teacher. So she went to great lengths to uncover the fact that he actually wasn't dead and have the death certificate revoked. And he then was prosecuted for the crime and sentenced to 14 years in prison. So just really an unbelievable story about a mother's quest for justice for her daughter who was raped. And also, I think the lengths that a perpetrator was willing to go to, to to evade justice. Yeah. And I think that's really what we wanted to discuss on this podcast was, you know, just really how sad, you know, in this case, it was the lengths that she had to go to get justice for her daughter. And that's something you know, that we can relate to in this country too. I mean, as we know, prosecution rates for sexual abuse are not high at all in this country. I mean, just to look at some statistics at the CPS released in April 2022, the Crown Court caseload reduced by 2.6% and is now on a downward trajectory, although the number of cases remains 50% higher than pre-COVID. 
And although there has been some increase in sexual abuse prosecutions, I mean, just just one to name here, 2.9% point increase in the rape conviction rate from 67.8% to 70.7%. I mean, it's not really a high increase, is it? There's not been much change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we know too that rape prosecutions generally are at a historic low. So even these, we need to kind of look at in context in terms of there being an increase in the conviction rate is great, but how many rape prosecutions are actually happening in this country? And I think that that's the real concern in terms of the amount of prosecutions that actually go forward. I think you had a statistic here, Hannah, that there's been a slight reduction in the proportion of subjects charged from 69.2% to 66.6%. Again, those percentages seem kind of high and, and a slight reduction, but I think the important thing is to also look at the overall figure in terms of how many rape prosecutions are actually proceeding, and that is a single digit number, which is really concerning. I think that's particularly concerning as well when we think of what's actually been going on in recent times. I mean, there's been a lot in the news recently with sexual abuse cases, which just seems like to make these figures even more scary because it's like it, there seems to be, you know, more sexual abuse happening. I mean, just for example, to name what's going on at the moment with David Carrick, the former Met Police officer, who was just recently pleaded guilty to 49 charges, including 24 counts of rape. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting to look at this case in India, but then think about how things work here. And is it is it really any different? You know, we know that we have historic low rate of rape prosecutions in this country, despite the fact that we know that sexual abuse, sexual assault and rape is certainly happening all the time. And and frankly, we have a greater awareness of it, I think, as a society than we mm. did say, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But that being said, we still have missed opportunities. So in the Carrot case, as Hannah, I think you and I were talking about before we started the podcast, there was a number of missed opportunities for him to be pursued prior to his recent conviction. I'm, I'm not too sure if this is completely accurate. I think there was around eight warnings that the, the Met ignored that, you know, that's come out from this case, that he was actually being abusive to women and, and these warnings weren't looked into. And that's ultimately what led him to be able to carry on. Yeah, absolutely. And similarly to this case in India, from what I understand from from reading about it, is that there were other complaints about this school teacher and, and in relation to this specific victim, he had been beating her at school, you know, again, missed opportunities there as well. So I think the question is, what do we need to do differently? We talk about this stuff a lot more. We're a lot more open about it than we were decades ago. We talk about rape and sexual assault and sexual abuse, but we still have low prosecution rates, victims not coming forward, victims not feeling confident in the police. And that kind of turns me to what came up in the article about this victim in India, this young girl who was raped when she was just 12 years old, and that after the rape, she did go back to school for a bit, but it was too difficult for her to return to school. And for the past four years, she essentially rarely leaves the shack that her family lives in. And so I think it's interesting to look at what kind of support is available here for victims of crime. And perhaps if we did offer the type of support that victims need, such as this poor girl in India, would it mean that more people would be willing to come forward to report 
rape and sexual assault. So one of the things we talk a lot about, Hannah, is the, the victim's code, which is essentially a guideline of how victims should be treated in relation to all crimes when they report to the police. And, and one of those things is that they should be provided with information about services that can support them and that they should have services and support tailored to meet their needs. So we know definitely that there are a lot of supportive services out there for victims, but I'm not sure how much even sometimes police and others involved in the criminal justice process are aware of the victim's code and and what should be happening under it. Yeah. And another thing that is pointed out in the victim's code is, you know, to be able to have the details of the crime recorded without unjustified delay and I think that's obviously something that happened in this case in India Mm -hmm. and I just thought it would be important to talk about as well how you know delay can impact a survivor sometimes it can actually add to the harm caused. Yeah no absolutely Hannah that's such a good point that certainly we see it in our cases all the time where a client has reported a rape or a sexual assault or a sexual abuse to the police and there's significant delays in the investigation and then you know if it even kind of gets off the ground in terms of the investigation then quite a long period of time until there's a criminal trial. And one of the things that I often have clients complain to me about is um, not being informed about what's going on with the criminal investigation. So I think it's it's the delay combined with a lack of communication of understanding what's happening with the investigation that just leads victims to despair. And also sometimes even if they have reported, just decide that it's not worth the kind of the stress and anguish of waiting and not knowing what's happening. Yeah. And it can probably also make a survivor feel quite undermined, you know, if, if it's taking too long. Obviously, we can appreciate that, you know, certain things take time, but at what point is it acceptable and at what what point is is it causing more harm to the survivor? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, that's such a good point, Hannah. I think it is sometimes the reason why, not just in the criminal context, people don't come forward, but even, well, people often aren't aware that they have potential civil claims, but even when they are that, you know, is it is it potentially causing more harm to them to to come forward and, and pursue this? And what's the length of time that it's going to take and what's the ultimate outcome going to be? So I suppose kind of a takeaway that I would want listeners or any victims and survivors out there to hear is that the process of pursuing either a criminal or civil claim, depending on what the outcome, can give you a sense of justice and some sense of closure, but it also can encourage other victims to come forward. And it is a way of claiming back your power in relation to what's happened to you. Completely. would would want to get that message out to listeners too, Kathleen. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Hannah, so much for talking about this really interesting case from India and comparing it to the situation that we have in the UK. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If this topic has brought up any questions or concerns for you, please do get in touch with us. Or if you'd like to hear us talk about a specific subject, we'd love to hear from you about that. Otherwise, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, Kathleen. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.